0: Welcome back. On this episode, we have part two with Matt Maruka from Raw Optics and mattmaruka.com. If you missed part one, it'll be linked up in the show notes. On this episode, we continue to talk about Matt's health journey. Matt shares with us his student exchange trip to Bosnia. I asked Matt, has he ever felt like he doesn't fit in this world? I asked Matt if he was in charge of improving the health and well-being of the world. What would he put in place? And I asked Matt, how much does he believe that our beliefs impact our health and well-being? Guys, this was another great conversation with Matt. Enjoy. Mm -hmm. All right, Maruka.
1: Maruka, Uh, yeah, absolute beauty.
0: We're recording. How are
1: you doing? Uh, I'm doing well. How are you? Uh,
0: Sure, As I said uh, before we hopped online, man, I'm from a first world country, so I can't be having any complaints.
1: Well, you you can always have complaints, I think you know it's 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 your life, but it's I think a beneficial perspective to to yeah. see that we're pretty fortunate, yeah, yeah big time.
0: Uh, as I said, what I really say is I'm a white man from first world country. I can't be having any complaints, but I want to put this out here now when I say I'm a white man, I'm not saying that white people are better than anyone else. I'm saying that the fact that I was born white and from first world country like, I was given all the advantages that I could want from the get-go. And I'm also male. So, like, I had all the advantages going white, male, first world country. So, as far as I'm concerned, any problems that I have are really privileges. As Tony Robbins would say, you know, if you're living in the first world country, if you have a problem, it's really a privilege. Because there's actually, there's a famous clip of Tony. I think it's a TED Talk, but he goes, uh, like, you know, hands up who likes surprises and everyone, or, or like, you know, holler if you like surprises and everyone throws their hands up. and goes, yeah. And he goes, you're all fucking liars. He's like, when you get a surprise you don't want, you call it a problem, <laughs> which I thought was very funny and very true to a certain degree. But listen, it's great to have you back online. Uh, I'm, not me- I'm not lying out. I've been really looking forward to reconnecting. So how have you been since we spoke the last time?
1: I've been doing quite well. I, it's almost, it must have been, what, three weeks by now? It's unbelievable on, how the yeah. time flies.
0: Oh, it's mad. It's madness. So Kamir, I listened to to more podcasts you done. School Sucks, which I thought was really, really good. It was kind of cool the way the guy who runs that, he just like, where do you live? And he just like got up and went 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 to go see it, like and he recorded. Um and then Yeah,
1: yeah, he's a really good guy. And I recommend, by the way, anyone who hears this goes and listens to that episode and listens to more from Brett, because I I came across this podcast from another friend of mine who was trying to teach me, or who I was asking, hey man, where do you recommend I start to learn a little bit more about logic? And he sent me these episodes uh, from the School Sucks pod, uh, podcast, or yeah, basically about uh, the trivium, which is the way that logic was previously taught in, or that, that everyone was previously taught in school way back in the day. And the trivium is grammar, logic, and rhetoric. And this were like these were like the three skills that people would learn before, uh, learning actual material. It was like the, it was learning how to learn. So grammar is, well, let's see, it isn't exactly the, the the modern use of grammar. I believe grammar is, is the, the content of information. So basically how to interpret and take in information. If I'm not mistaken, logic is the way to remove contradictions from information. And then from the grammar, let's say the material. And then rhetoric is the way to articulate and share the ideas based on what you've learned to advance society. Cause if we all just thought of all these great ideas, but didn't communicate them, it wouldn't necessarily increase our survival. So anyway, after these three episodes with Brett, um, Vinoyt is his last name. I, I think that's right, the pro- proper pronunciation. I was hooked and I watched so many episodes of the school sucks project, probably, um, dozens and dozens to the point where I consumed most of his podcast, I think. And I just learned so much about how the modern school systems really messed up. It's, it's a very libertarian minded podcast. So it's not conservative necessarily or liberal, but great show overall. And then yeah, basically the story with that was that he uh, essentially what happened was he was like going on a road trip or something. And I just reached out and said, Hey, you know, I think it'd be really cool for us to record an episode and then he said, "Yeah, well, I, you know, he was he was basically not very far from where I am in Philadelphia during his road trip. He was actually quite close, so then he drove out to Philadelphia and met up with some of his uh, some of his tribe of of people. And I thought it was really cool, you know, like just like I'm interested in health and I have a, a sort of health community, he has a community of people who are all interested in logic and thinking well and not being you know deceived by the poor thinking of the modern um, world but again many of them miss the health side of things so i'm hoping my episode my goal is like penetrate that community with health information as well so yeah that, that was the story behind that <laughs> very and, very interesting
0: and did he did he, uh, did he call out to your house
1: yeah he came wait you said what did he
0: did, like did he drive to your house and do the interview in your home
1: Yeah, he did. He came because I was in Philadelphia. And that was like, that's my place. So he literally just drove out because he was nearby. Um, And then we did it. And then we went from my place, which is right near the city in the suburbs, down into the city to have lunch with part of his tribe. And then we came back and recorded part two, literally in like my in my uh, old bedroom, that's now just like an attic space, but like a a little room with nothing in it pretty much the bedroom that I lived in growing up. But at this point, I was like traveling. So I had to my new bedroom was in the garage so I could sleep outdoors, like grounded basically to the earth. So, but That's it awesome. was pretty sweet. Yeah. yeah and that- we, we just went into it. And the coolest thing about it, I thought was that you, you probably noticed this. I haven't re listened to that episode in a while, but it's probably one of the favorites that I've ever done. Cause it was such a different angle instead of him being focused on health and asking all about health. He was the only podcaster I've ever spoken with who wasn't trying to use me as, or you know, not that any podcast was trying to use me, but yeah, use my knowledge or wisdom as an example to teach about health and and do that because that's generally the goal. He was much more focused on the angle of what can happen and and what can happen to an individual when they decide to take their education into their own hands. So mm-hmm. it kind of to me felt like he was constantly coming back to so. Just look what happens when a kid who's 18 years old, well, which was, I was when I recorded the podcast, takes his education into his own hands, goes on a foreign exchange program, does this other stuff, and, and look how knowledgeable you can be if you just take it into your own hands. And look how school is crippling his peers. So there's just cool angle, really cool angle.
0: Yeah, and I want you to talk more about that uh that exchange that you did when you were in high school in in just a moment, but I also listened to your recent podcast that Luke Story put out and Aaron Alexander, or, or Aaron Alexander, um, on the Align podcast, um, and they were very very good. So the, it was like a, it was like a three parter, so two on Luke's and one on Aaron's, and it, with, with Jack at the at the Neil Strauss event. So I linked those in the show notes because I found those very very good. But when I listened back to the the school sucks episodes, um, you really got in deep about like what was really going on in your life in terms of your health and i know we have spoke about this and you spoke about this in some other podcasts but i really felt you really got into a lot of a lot more depth with brad just even about like your mindset and what was kind of going on in your mind and sort of where you were in that moment of time and then just like even you were speaking about like how you got to go to bosnia like you know the whole interview process and you're like i you know i said that i'd represent america good and I'd show people the better side of Americans and all. It was mad. Like I didn't like didn't know how much went into it and how much of a life-changing process that was. So I'd love you for just to share that story because I, I really enjoyed listening to it.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, I wouldn't know where to start, but uh, basically... What age were you
0: when you went there? 16, 17?
1: Yeah, I was 16 when I went there. I turned 16 the day I left, actually. So I was just 15, basically. So... And sorry, just for you go on, um, yeah, Matt, had you ever been outside of America before? I had actually only been to Canada, so it was it was amazing because I had wanted to leave the country so much. like I was just a butterfly trapped in a cage, and as soon as I went on that trip, that was like my first chance to go travel, and after that, I mean I've, I've been to like, I don't know. 30 countries or some insane amount of countries in the last like two years, just going all around. And now I'm sick and tired of traveling. I just want to stay in one spot and start improving my health. Cause traveling just kind of drains you if you don't have a really solid health bank account. Mm-hmm. Um, especially if you're working, like if you're traveling and just laying in the sun all day, hanging out with friends, drinking beer, swimming in the ocean, doing whatever, you know, but mostly out in the sun, in the ocean and the water and all that stuff in nature, then I think you could travel for a year, two years time and actually just have it be a huge benefit. Uh, But I was more travel working. So I'd be like getting to a new place and, and getting myself in my computer, spending many of my hours on the computer, getting stressed out a little bit about business and this or that. Uh, And again, the stress is, I believe, uh, you know, manufactured based on my beliefs, but but that I found to be very detrimental. So I decided as long as my main focus is my business, I, I'd much rather be in one place rather than jumping around to the extent that I have some really good opportunities back in the States this summer, for example. It's going to be sunny. It's going to be the, the summer in the United States. And so my natural instinct from the last several months has been like, okay, well, why not go home back to the United States and, and do that? But the thing is, I don't have a home there really, you know, except Philadelphia where I... Where I uh, grew up, but that's not even really, it's not home to me anymore. And in Los Angeles, it was kind of a temporary home I that I had, but the place where I was staying, which was sort of a loan from a, a good friend out there, basically uh, lost. It was just like one of his guest houses, let's say. So uh, it was an interesting opportunity I had out there, but basically the place lost electricity and because it doesn't have electricity, it doesn't have a pump for the running water. So my sort of default home in the States also in LA doesn't really have, it isn't really a, a home at the moment. So uh, there's the, the point is that even though there's all these good opportunities, like I can go back to the States and work with this, this influential music producer in LA and meet some friends out there and probably hang out with Luke story and Aaron, Aaron Alexander plenty um, you know, really good dudes who I really enjoy spending time with. Um, I could go see my cousins out West in Idaho. I can go see my family in Philadelphia all these, all these opportunities, right. That are really exciting and cool to pursue. But, um, basically I'm realizing that that traveling is a huge stressor on the body. Robbie, Mm -hmm. it's like, and that's been interesting thing for me to realize because I kind of came into this thinking like, Oh, I'm invincible. I can do whatever, but, but I've realized more and more what Dr. Cruz has told me many times, which is that traveling is really hard on the body Especially again, if you don't have the, if you, if I'm not going to spend all day out, outdoors in the sun, you know, yeah. I will if I'm on, I'll sit on my computer in the sun, but it's not the same as just chilling. It's like I'm connected to this electrical device with Wi Fi and everything. So the point of that is that um, I've learned re- recently the value of, of really like kind of listening to my, my core, my heart almost, and just saying, you know, I have all this exciting stuff I could do over the summer. And be in the states and traveling this might come as intuitive to some people, but to me it wasn't really intuitive at all um, like all this good excitement of going from my one place to the next to my family to my other family to my other side of the family and visiting them all and then going to Europe and being you know in, in giving a talk in Poland in Germany in and then going and traveling around all of the place all the places and whatever and then staying in Norway with some friends and then going to London for a talk I'm giving in September. Um, this is all sounds like cool and exciting. But then when I think about it, like, I'm trying to work on a business and improve my health. Cause when I stay in one place and improve my health, then every day of my life is way more enjoyable. Yeah. Whereas if I'm like constantly on the move, not sure where I'm going to be sleeping the next week, buying flights, like figuring all this stuff out. I realize that even though it didn't strike me as it upon first glance, it's a tremendous kind of time bearing stress on the body. So that the point of that is that, uh, yeah, this, this, this whole traveling thing is, it can be uh very, very tough on the body. I guess if, if you're especially trying to focus on a business or focus on something else. So that's why I've, I've, I'm not doing that. However, going back to the school sucks thing or, and the, the podcast and the the travel story of Bosnia, I had never left the country. So I never would have had this perspective. Like I wouldn't have thought of this all that time ago. Back then it was like, holy moly, I want to see the whole world. And I still do. I'm just in sort of a pause mode working on focusing on a company, but man, I was so excited um, because I never had left the country except to Canada, which I didn't really consider much of a big change. Uh, We just drove North of the border through Montreal to Niagara Falls through Toronto. And that was it. And then came back into the States So when I had this opportunity, um, I was the reason I was looking for like an out like a way out was because when I was in my sophomore year of high school, which was after several months of trying to figure out my health issues, almost a year, using the, the diet and all this stuff, I couldn't, I couldn't quite like flip the switch and get exactly what, what I needed. I had I had tried the paleo diet and and had tremendous results right off the bat by cutting out all the grains, processed refined food, and so on. And then I basically started having issues with energy, getting really uh, tired and depressed and uh, thinking that I I was inherently flawed myself because I couldn't maintain these diets stricter and stricter and stricter to try to remove the last of my issues. And so, you know, I would end up binging on like sugar and junk. And I told this whole story in that podcast and I ended up being really depressed and sort of like hating my life and, and basically desperate to go somewhere else. And so what happened was I actually saw one day in one of my teacher's classrooms at the end of the day, some girl was giving a presentation about her year abroad. And then I saw that I was like, Oh my gosh, free high school exchange programs to go anywhere. Who would have thought that was a thing? And I was just going to be a junior in high school. So I was old enough where this could be like a realistic option. I was old enough to qualify. And then I signed up and I got like through with my applications, talking about my health journey, my entry, you know, like that. I was a good citizen. I always got good grades, good student, all this stuff. They thought I was interesting, you know, cause I had a different story and I had lots to share. And so then, um, and it was good that they, they, they were interested because then I went to the like actual application process in DC where we had like little interviews and they want to make sure the kids aren't like crazy, you know, and you're a sane child who will like follow the rules and stuff of the program and not make, you know, America look like a fucked up country. Um, Then I went there and I had this interview with these two like women who were the final interviewers. And I just told them my whole story, told them like that I had struggled a lot and told them that I was like on the other side of it pretty much coming out and like really excited to grow from here and, you know, do all this good stuff. And I actually, when I left that room, like I knew I was in because they like were so connected to the story. I think they just were so impressed uh, with with what I was already sharing. And before I had even really applied all of what I now call the light diet, I was just sharing with them the theory and how much I had how far I had already come since I had started that journey. And then I walked out of the room and I was just basically in tears, like crying, you know, with tears of joy, because I just knew that, i was going to get in and get accepted and have this chance to basically go abroad for a whole year live in a foreign country completely shift my entire my entire life like beyond my wildest imagination and and then i did and then it was amazing and some of the things that were cool about Bosnia, you know the, the program was geared towards islamic countries so because of, uh, you know, nine eleven and this stuff, the government was allotting money to take uh, Islamic kids from the Middle East and bring them to the States and then to take like, and that, they were doing like hundreds of kids from the Middle East per year and allowing them to like come to the States and become Americanized and see that the U.S. is like, you know, good place. I guess that was the idea behind the program. Um, even though I think the U.S. has done tons of messed up stuff in the Middle East. But anyway, so... I was one of the Americans who, you know, had this opportunity to go to a Muslim country and Bosnia has a significant Muslim population. So does like Indonesia where I am right now, Malaysia, Thailand. This is the countries where they sent kids to, um, on my program. So I was fortunate enough to not be sent to Indonesia or Thailand where I would live in like sort of the middle of nowhere in like shacks with you know, these host families and being like a really different culture. Like I was in Europe, it was badass. Like I was getting to live the European lifestyle, like go out and have beers when I was 16 years old, like at the bars with kids on the weekends and stuff. Like when you're in the States, you can't go have a drink for five more years. So I was like having been such a blast, just having so much fun, meeting people, learning the language. And some of the most interesting things were after having learned all the stuff that, that, um, that I learned about, you know, the light diet and how light is so critical for our mitochondria and our health, which I'm not sure if we even discussed too much in the last episode. But uh, basically, I noticed that the people there, especially the women, from my perspective, were really, really attractive, like really healthy, really fit compared to what I had ever seen in my life. And I just couldn't, I knew based on all the the stuff I had learned about epigenetics, that you know, in the way way that our environment and lifestyle choices basically influence how certain genes are turned on and off and expressed and so on. There was no way from just a mathematical perspective that all these people could just be genetically so much better looking. Like, because I know that all the humans today that have survived this far throughout evolution have a relatively solid genome. Like if you've made it this far and you're listening to this, you have pretty good genes. And you have the capacity to be like a total badass beast. So that was something that I thought was uh, really, really, you know, striking that these people look so different. And so I I was asking myself like, okay, well, why, why are these people? people so healthy or why do they look so good? Well, for example, specifically, you know, the the guys were pretty like compared to the American guys, my age that I knew, the guys were often much stronger, much bigger, much fitter, much more like men rather than like scrawny little kids. It was like, everyone looked like they were five years older as in the women, even in their maturity to some extent, maybe not quite five, but a huge difference. Just like, like how humans should look. Right. And I thought about it and basically realized that like, well, women to my eye as a man, when they have like wide hips, thin waist, all this, this is indicators, uh, you know, it's obviously attractive to me from a sexual perspective, but the reason why is because it's indicating to me that that woman would be really good for bearing a healthy child because the wide hips, the thin waist, these are indicators of reproductive fitness, same with, um, you know, basically, uh, uh nice features, essentially, you know, the breasts, the behind, these are indicative of a really healthy supply of DHA, which is the molecule, that we use to build our myelin sheathing around our nerves and our brain and this is the omega-3 fatty acid that comes from whole seafood that we shouldn't be taking from any supplemental form because it it is often it is always oxidized and damaging almost always Mm -hmm. and uh, therefore this this is an environmental thing it isn't genetic that these people all look better and it made sense when i considered it like okay They have way less non-native electromagnetic radiation like their cell phone technology. They're back in 3G with bad coverage compared to the U.S., which had like 4G LTE going on 5G, amazing coverage everywhere. You know, they grew up and they definitely didn't get cell phones as early as American kids did. They um, definitely spend way more of their time outdoors, which is the key difference. Huge amount of time. It's a walking city. They're always outdoors. Their food amazing difference. The, the food quality, you know, Dr. Cruz says, Oh, it's not about food. It's not about food, but still it is, it is somewhat relevant. He doesn't eat junk all day. You know, the food was all really good, like paleo diet, unprocessed natural food. Uh, the meat is all local. The, the dairy was all grass fed. And even the, the wheat I, I used to have like, or I still have really strong sensitivity to wheat and gluten, but I could eat the, uh, I could eat the the bread and gluten there, no problem. It didn't upset my stomach almost at all, which completely shocked me. But it, it probably, I'm certain, it has something to do with the genetic modification that you know increases the gluten content of American wheat and so on, and even Asian wheat I can't tolerate at all. So all these things together made it not that surprising that people there would have really, really good reproductive fitness. Another key thing is that their mothers, who are the ones that pass down the mitochondrial DNA, which Basically determines how lucky we are when we come into this life. As far as our health bank account goes, the mothers basically grew up in like paradise as far as health goes. Like no cell phone technology, no Wi-Fi. They all grew up in a world where, like, yes, they experienced a war, so it's not really paradise. But you know, easy for me to say paradise, right? But from a health perspective, biologically, they experienced like nature and they grew up in in a natural world where artificial light. You know, it was common, but but sunlight and living outdoors was the way. Whereas, you know, my parents' generation, and this is probably the biggest difference in the U.S., grew up in an indoor corporate lifestyle, which is something just did not exist in their place. Most of these people's parents grew up in a small village in the countryside of Bosnia. So that probably more than anything was the biggest difference, was how the mothers uh, spent their childhood and their developmental years. So that was like, what the heck, this is amazing, unbelievable. And I, I, and the cool thing is that I got to live in that environment that was making those people healthier, even though it wasn't back in the 80s, 70s, when their parents grew up 60s, and so on. um, It was still pretty darn good compared to Philadelphia, where I was growing up. And that change manifested in me. And so in addition to going through puberty, while I was, you know, around 15, 16, over there, physically I changed so much. Like I went from being super pale and not being able to tan to being able to tan by applying all of Dr. Cruz's protocols in an environment that was very conducive to it. Um, and you know, he always is telling people, Oh, you need to move. You need to move to somewhere with more sunlight because basically if you're sick and even if you do everything possible in your environment, if you're at a high latitude with low sunlight, you're not really going to be able to reverse your issues most likely. So I had moved and I didn't even realize it. Now I didn't move to a place with more sunlight. I just moved to a place with less of really the bad stuff and, and generally a more outdoor lifestyle. So I was mm-hmm. still getting a lot more light. It's actually Bosnia is like, you know, Philadelphia is the 39th latitude. Bosnia is like the 44th latitude. So I was actually a little bit f- further from the, the equator, but didn't matter because the overall, the the environment was much better. So that was kind of the story there. And I just had a blast overall and came back. And some of my teachers like didn't even recognize me at yeah. first glance. My friends were just like, what the heck happened to you? And they saw my pictures on Instagram. They saw me developing and changing. And of course, my hair was like this when I left, but even shorter or just weirder. And then I grew it all the way out while I was gone. And that was a big, big shocker. So super interesting situation.
0: Just, uh, you know, uh, something that came to my mind there. there there's three or main topics I want to touch on. Um, I want to ask your opinion about if you were given the opportunity to engineer the world, what would you put in place? We'll get to that. I want you to discuss about this thing that you discussed on the podcast you did with Aaron, Luke, and Jack. I'm not too sure if it was on Luke's two or on the one Aaron um, published, but it was this concept of like, our beliefs because the only way Luke is like I don't know if it actually is like if it's my beliefs that this stuff is going to harm me or is the stuff really harming me when you were talking about like the blue light and the EMF and then you kind of gave your little thoughts on like you know the, the sort of power of our beliefs so i'd like you to touch on that and then the final thing i want to touch on too is your family i want to i want to you know because just how, how your relationship is with your family because even like you were just saying philadelphia's not my home anymore and you know i suppose maybe if like parents kind of heard their kids saying, they going, jesus we're not at home anymore i just want to know like how your whole family's reacted to this whole thing but before i get into those three questions and we might get to address all those three before our time here is up today but that's where we can always reconnect which we will because we're brothers man we're brothers from other mothers we're all, brothers, we're all brothers and sisters on on on, on this uh, mother planet of ours but uh you just spoke about there when you got out of that meeting with two women for the interview to go to bosnia that like you know you cried you felt like it was like almost an emotional release and you you said earlier on to you used the description which i really liked you felt like you were a butterfly trapped in a cage and when i ever have conversations with sort of you know like to me now Matt you're not even Matt you're not even a male or a female it's like I'm just speaking to another spirit or a soul or an entity on the other line here but whenever I resonate with someone like yourself or another soul like I always feel that we don't fit in the world or we feel like we don't fit you know that we're always like you know just something never set right where we were and like my question to you now is like, is that kind of, did you have that feeling I was kind of growing up in Philadelphia? Like, you know, you were like, kind of always looking around going like, yeah, I just don't get what everyone else gets. Maybe it's, I, I just don't, do they not see like, like, do you get what I mean? So basically, do you, do you always feel there was that bit of like, I just don't belong here in this, in this place? Yeah, not-
1: absolutely. It's, in fact, there's a song and I'm getting, I get like goosebumps when I bring it up, but do you know the movie Hercules? The like, the animated I, movie?
0: I, I know it, but I haven't. I've never. I've never, if I've seen it, I don't remember. I must have been young.
1: You should definitely, definitely. Uh, there's a song, and it's called "I Can Go the Distance," and basically, it was written for the movie. But basically, it's like Hercules, who basically, you know, like was the son of Zeus, but he was um basically like the 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 evil uh whatever, the opposite of the Olympians, the Titans, or yeah, one of the Titans or something. Uh, came to like basically try to kill uh, Hercules because he would like forever cast the Titans away so they could never come back. That was like whatever the prophecy said. So they tried to kill him, but he didn't like drink the last drop of this potion that they gave him. And so he wasn't killed. He just lost his God, godly powers. So he was only like a demigod now, like half God, half man. And then he was like cast onto the earth with humans and then he was like found by these two people and uh adopted by them and raised and again this is just how the movie goes i don't know the actual myth it's probably pretty i'm assuming they made it accurate because it's an animation anyway sounds exactly but, like um, super, superman though as well doesn't it that's a super the maybe maybe yeah and so basically it's probably that's probably where superman comes from to be honest from the, that myth or something similar but basically um then hercules as he was growing up like He always felt like he didn't belong. And, you know, he had, like, super strength compared to everyone else, pretty much. But, uh, yeah, so then he one day, you know, like, decided he had to go off, and his parents gave him this, like, medallion they found that was around his neck when he was this baby that was, like, the the symbol of Zeus. And he went to the temple, and it's, like, this super emotional scene, and he's basically singing, like, um, like. I've always dreamed of a far off place where where a great warm welcome will be waiting for me. Um, And it's just like a really, really beautiful song. So Mm -hmm. I highly recommend listening to it, but yes, definitely feel where you're coming from. Like I always kind of have felt that where I was and, and what I was doing, I felt like there was always way more out there that was achievable. And, um, and I didn't ever want to like let go of that. And so I, I haven't and I'm, I often am, am getting very close to, I wouldn't say I'm getting very close to letting go of it, but there have been many periods in the last few months and last like basically the whole my whole life where I have like even when I was in Bosnia and overall I was having a blast. I would say like looking back on it, but on a day to day basis, I would say most of my hours I was fairly miserable because I was just worrying about everything like there were several times where I just let myself go and experience like the beautiful pieces of life. But most of the time I could say like objectively that I was pretty miserable. And again, it wasn't like I'm um, unfortunate, you know, like I had experienced all this uh, um, terrible, terrible stuff. I mean, with my health, yeah, that was pretty rough for someone to deal with. But it wasn't like I was being, you know, in a village where people were getting raped and pillaged and starving, like you had said in the beginning before we started recording. You know, we're fortunate to not have had that, but I was, I was in a situation where mentally I was basically pitted against myself. In other words, Mm. no matter how, um, no matter how happy I could be, or no matter how much good that I could do for myself, it felt like it was never enough because I believed up until like two days ago or three days ago that my life in and of itself wasn't like of value. And that, and because this is what we're basically taught in school today, uh, that that each of our our ourselves aren't of tremendous value necessarily, and that we have to work for society and for others and for the whole of the human species to be of value. And again, like the way my mind works is if I believe something, like I take it to a, to its logical extreme. For the, generally speaking, like as I have with the light diet, with this health stuff, you know, by building a company to to prove the concept and uh, make money off of it. But uh, I took this this belief system that was kind of implied to me throughout all of my, uh, you know, elementary, middle and high school education and all the stuff I learned from television and everything that, that basically we are, we are supposed to be sacrificial animals and basically live for others' sake and always work and live for others. And basically, I, so no matter like when I started improving my health and I started doing everything, I didn't feel good about it because as soon as I felt like I had learned this good information, I felt that it was my obligation to, to help everyone else. And then I took the, I literally put the whole burden of humanity on my own shoulders because, um, which is again, it's like no one was necessarily asking me to do that, but that's what was implied to me throughout all my years growing up as the most noble thing to do. Because I realized that I had learned something that, no one, that most other people didn't know that I believe to be true based on my experience, my observation, my connection with many other people who had also validated that this information might be very accurate. And the research I read indicated that it's very accurate and so on, referring to the light diet and all the science behind it. And basically, when I read this one book called Going Somewhere, Truth About a Life in Science, about how the power companies had basically um, used really deceptive tactics to basically make it so that things like pow- high voltage transmission lines and now Wi-Fi, cell phones, and Bluetooth are all like totally legal and not of, of even concern to the masses. I read that book of that how that happened by the, written by the scientist who was the main researcher and f- found the health effects before anyone else, um, not funded by the industry. And how he basically just got screwed over and over again in these lawsuits and stuff trying to defend people who were having big voltage, high voltage lines built over their houses and everything. And people who were like, you know, uh, or the Navy was hiring people to study this because of the risk to the the servicemen on, on the submarines and boats. And then like classifying all the documents and cutting the studies when the, the results weren't what they were looking for. And I was like, holy shit, this is going on today. People are getting killed because of this suffering, dying And basically, no one else is bringing this out to the public. So the fact that no one else is bringing it out means that like, I'm I've got to do it because like, if no one else is going to do it, like it's my job. So I like took that whole burden onto myself when I was 16. And I read that book. And so for the next year, that was like complete misery, misery, because no matter how good I could make my own life, it was never ever enough. Mm. So that was where I was at. But then I, uh, I met Dr. Cruz and he told me the first thing he told me when we met, when kid, I asked him, like, what do I, how do I help everyone else? What's that?
0: He so said, kid, you got to put yourself first.
1: Exactly. I told you that. I think in the last episode he said, put yourself first, but I still didn't understand that because he didn't explain the reason why that is the best thing to do in terms that I could understand. Like it made some sense to me. It made sense when he said that I can't be of help to others until I am able to be the best of myself. But then I learned recently reading a book uh, that, that I've been reading for the last couple of months that basically even if I am the best that I can be, it still is not my obligation, not even really my desire to help others as my first objective. And this is going to sound so backwards to, to everyone who hears this and they'll think maybe I'm evil because you know, this is what everyone is instilled with in uh, schooling and university and everything and through the media and everything today that that the most noble things to help others. But basically, what I've learned and come to believe is that man's life, the fact that we exist, and, and the fact that basically, we will do anything necessary to survive is indicative of the value of our existence. In other words, All the things that we experience, like my consciousness, our conversation, our words, our thoughts, our emotions, our eating a good meal, spending time with loved ones, interacting with others, you know, anything within life, it all is based on the premise of life itself. And if you're dead, none of the anything that can, nothing can exist, basically. So, so the first premise of all the stuff that occurs in life like this conversation again and everything else is life itself. One's one owns one's own life. And so basically what that means is that before anything else that we value can exist, we have to have life, which means essentially that life is the highest value of anything that's living. Because if you don't have your life, you can't have anything else. So in order to have any of the things that you like or value or love or enjoy, you have to have your life, right? And so what that basically means is that, again, life is is the highest of all values for a living organism, literally and figuratively. It is the thing that we value the most, and it is the most valuable thing to all of us. And uh, it is a, a value, just like people say, you know, what are your values? What do you believe in? Life is the highest value for a living organism, um, for, for, at least for me. Now, there are many people and the philosophy that's taken over the world is that is basically, I believe an attempt and it, it I don't even believe I'm, I'm pretty certain of it after uh, reading what I've been reading, but that, that the, there's an attempt by basically anyone who's ever wanted to control others to trick people into believing that their life is not the highest value and that everyone else's life and society of a whole is of the highest value. This is kind of like the socialist, the, the underpinnings of socialism and collectivism is that it isn't about the individual; it's more about the whole, and it's about others. And basically, once we uh, remove, once we change the the highest uh, value of our life from in life from ourself to others, it it is an, in a way it's like a blank check because we can't really. Know for sure what other people want. So basically, it becomes like a blank check for anyone to do anything, or or basically, yeah, like governments, like the communist governments of the 1900s are the best example. Uh, you know, China, Russia, and Germany, also the socialist and you know um, fascist governments, basically, basically telling people that yeah, their life isn't of value, but it's all about the whole. And so anyway, the, the reason I'm getting into this, um, it's because I read this book or I'm just finishing a book called Atlas Shrugged by Ayn Rand. And she's a very controversial, uh, American or Russian American philosopher whose family had her, uh, they had their, um, basically their pharmacy, I believe was taken away from her father when she was a kid by the Bolsheviks and they basically ran the entire country into the ground you know, brought in a leader who was a mass murderer and ran everything by force and terror. And, you know, they took all the all the land from the kulaks. This is a story that Jordan Peterson often mentions. Um, they took all the land from the kulaks, who were the farmers who were wealthy, because they produced the most food and they were the most effective farmers. But the communists, the Bolsheviks, with their, you know, socialist ideas, which are completely flawed, basically think that that money and wealth is evil. So they took from those who had wealth and then redistributed it to those who didn't. They redistributed it based on need, not realizing that wealth is the result of basically producing. So those who produced had wealth because they produced. So by taking the land and the resources and, for example, removing the doctors who are wealthy, removing the hospital owners who are wealthy because they own hospitals, they took away the, see, they basically, and this is, again, anyone who reads this book will get what I'm saying when they read this, but basically, they made the mistake of believing that, that it is the workers, you know, the proletariat, they call it in communism, who actually run everything, and in other words, a better way of saying it is that they made the mistake of of thinking that the people who do the brute labor are the ones who actually provide value without acknowledging that in order for those people to be able to farm or, or work within a hospital or you know work as employees for anyone else, there had to be the mind behind the system that even gave those people jobs. Like within a factory, for example, there had to be the genius who came up with the product, who came up with the process, who came up with the idea for the factory in order that anyone Could be so fortunate to work for this person and basically earn a living, not even having to think very much. You know, being able to be a janitor or working in a repetitive job or working in a repetitive task on a machine. All of the these jobs and even just being farmers uh, or or, you know any of this stuff came from the people who came up with tools that could make this stuff happen. So, anyway, the country obviously of Russia fell apart when that happened and, uh, really miserably because they had massive famine because they eliminated the producers. Um, and they, they thought that just anyone would be motivated to work if everyone was given what they needed and every everything was allotted based on need. And the whole creed is that, um, everyone works based on their, their ability and receives based on their need. And again, that eliminates any incentive for people to actually produce and, no matter how much you produce it's going to be taken away from you to too much so as a result of this ter- terrific uh, not terrific but terrifying experience rand wrote this book atlas shrug to warn the future of of how insidious this idea is and when reading this book in the last few days i realized that that the philosophy that 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 basically was the foundation of these mass murdering countries, um, and massive genocides is actually the philosophy that was driving my life and is driving the lives of most people. I believe today, which is that man's life. Life isn't the highest value and that everyone, like I said, should be going after what going after basically others lives and living for others. And as soon as I made that shift in my head and I realized that the the destruction and the evil of that, that idea, all of a sudden I realized that I have every right to be happy and for me to be happy is the highest of all the values that I could possibly achieve. And one of the things that stuck with me the most, she basically says that the act of eating and the act of drinking implies that the person who's eating or drinking is worth is worthy of living right and the act of pursuing happiness of doing things that we like implies that the person who is doing them is worthy of enjoying themselves in other words saying that like when we do these things we are implying that that we do believe that we should live and we do believe that that we are of value so what the thing is is that the modern philosophy that, that literally has taken over the majority of of the minds of my peers and most people in the world today is that even though we 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 kind of we accept that okay yeah of course we got to eat and we've got to enjoy ourselves a little bit we've been at least again I, I maybe was just taking this to the extreme but that to enjoy ourselves too much is is unacceptable and to, a little bit of enjoyment a little bit of you know and eating well and and keeping yourself healthy so you can function for others that's okay. But if you're enjoying yourself too much, you're spending too much of your free time enjoying yourself, then it it isn't good. And but if you bring if you bring that idea to its core, which she does in the book, it becomes very clear that it is it is extremely destructive. So I haven't done justice to to the full ideas of the book. So I'm just wrapping my head around them. But basically I realized fully and thoroughly just a few days ago, since our last conversation, that that what Dr. Cruz was telling me that day was like the most important thing ever. And so, getting back to your question of have I ever felt lo- like have I ever felt like I don't belong sort of, and that there's sort of more more out there, and there's a life that we can truly that that is a life of constant excitement and of of regular regular enjoyment, mm. and I think yes, there is actually, and that is if we get and this all started with me describing my mind and my mental state and getting it realizing that having that proper is the most important, the most important thing. Because if again, you could be in the healthiest place in the world, enjoying the foreign exchange program, doing all this stuff. But if, if you believe that the more you are happy and the healthier you are, and the better you become yourself, the more selfish you are, the more evil you are, the more of a privileged white male who doesn't deserve anything or, or, you know, privileged american or any whatever privilege you might have that that again these these anti-life type of people attempt to that's why when i when you said that earlier i got a little uneasy because that that idea of of assigning privilege to people saying that by being born these people are already sinners these people are already you know that just by being born white and male i ought to accept guilt that is the most absurd concept ever. And that's what basically generations of people like churches and governments trying to control people have pushed onto people so that we constantly feel like our life in and of itself is not a value and we ought to just toil and be sacrificial animals for other people. And I decided the other day that that's just not, maybe not the smartest way to live and it's, it's a really good path to misery. So anyway, that's a, quite a solid explanation. But that gets into your other question of if I were put in charge of the world, you know, if I were like the the guy to run the world or whatever, I would probably, I don't know enough about, you know, politics. I really, I just don't understand how all the systems work, but my inclination would be to abolish most or all of governments, not all, but anything beyond basically like protecting people from foreign invaders and protecting individuals from, you know, crime, so like army, police, and court to basically settle disputes among individuals, but nothing that, not, in no case, uh, would I, I, I would basically eliminate any situation where governments initiate force. Cause like, I think governments are okay if someone else who wants to start problems is initiating force like starting force against another person, you know, like violence or anything like that, or trying to compel someone to do something on the pain of, uh, you know, being beaten or tortured or hurt or killed, then obviously I think that person deserves to die or at least be imprisoned and never see the light of day again, or at least, you know, for a long time so that hopefully they learn the lesson, but, and, and don't do that. But basically, um... Governments today, even though this might be what people think, and I used to think this too, just there to defend, actually, oftentimes, there's more like initiation of force, especially by the US government, than there is like defense, you know, like when was the last time the United States was like attacked, right? I don't even, I don't really know. Maybe in 1812 when the British like came to our soil to try to take back the country.
0: Well, technically, um, technically they'd say September 11th. Like technically people would say that. But I know what you mean in terms of an evading army going to the land.
1: Yeah, yeah. But, but basically the point is that the U.S. government though for the last long time has been going in and and starting or, or at least joining controversies when there was no real threat against us. Now I get like World War Two. Okay. With Hitler, I don't know. You know, I'm not, I'm not a political expert. That's why I don't really like to focus on these issues too much. But for me, it, it, it is something that could easily allow people to be miserable, I believe, and really be detrimental to their health if they believe that their job is to serve others their whole life and that it's, immoral for them and their happiness to be the highest of all values. Mm-hmm. And so that's again, that's what I sort of realized is was one of the biggest things holding me back. Um I
0: yeah, uh, you know listen I, I I fully concur with everything you just said there. What's coming into my mind is like to be able to contribute to society, you have to fully contribute to yourself first and foremost. But that is the mm-hmm. whole concept of Loving yourself first, like as Paul Check would say, you can't. You, you know, if you don't wear it, you can't share it. You can't give something away that you don't already own. I kind of see it though as a reciprocal pro- process as well, in that you know what's most important is attaining, or and it's not even attaining because life life isn't a destination; it's a continual journey. But it, it's throughout this journey of life, it's about trying to get to areas of self-actualization and to continually seek areas of, of what fulfills us moment to moment and the more that we can show ourselves enough love within ourselves well then we are contributing to the world like by contributing to ourselves we are contributing to society and to our, and to our fellow humans and that's exactly what you're trying to say is that like instead of like trying to sacrifice ourselves you need to contribute 100% to you first and foremost and by doing that you are contributing positively to society like one of my favorite uh, definitions of living a spiritual life came from paul check i asked him one time and his answer i always love this answer he says being a spiritual person is nothing more than taking responsibility for what you bring into creation moment to moment and i thought that was beautiful and he just said and if you do that you are being a positive contributor to to yourself and to the world around you so i fully agree that you have to work on yourself first and foremost you have to work on self-love self-acceptance it basically you have to work on unconditional love for yourself and it's a continual journey it's not a place that you're going to get to where you sit up on this throne and you're like i've done it i've reached actualization this is it this is as high as it gets it's a continual journey that ebbs and flows because life is dynamic so what's fulfilling you in one moment or in one chapter of your life may not be what fulfills you in another moment or another chapter in your life and that's why the universe also works through contrast i mean we need contrast we need up to know down we need left we need to, we need left to know right we need man to know woman we need hot to know cold we need to know black to no white i mean that's i always say like what's in between the stars when you look up at the sky and people go nothing and i was like exactly and you need that nothing to know the something which is the stars you need the black to be able to see the light you need the dark to be able to see the light essentially and just for i'll let you jump back in there Um, and before you do i need to take a piss by the way but i'm holding into a piss uh but like I, I epigenetics is a huge thing, so it sounds like that book had a, had a massive influence on you. What had a massive influence on me back in the day was Bruce Lipton's book Biology Belief, because it was my first introduction into epigenetics, and epigenetics would be how would be a huge driving factor in how I see and perceive reality around me currently. In that I fully believe that the environment and the organism, that interaction of environment and organism, is absolutely essential to trying to understand our reality. And again, the, the thing that makes us Human is that we can choose to perceive our reality. So, like the environment dictates an organism's expression, but the great thing about humans is, as organisms, we can also dictate our environment now for better or for worse, as you know, through like, uh, like our modern lifestyles. But what that made me appreciate, Matt, when I realised how big of an influence the environment is in the organism, it made me appreciate that everything, that every sorry that everyone and everything is the way they are for a reason. And that led me to then developing better levels of compassion, empathy, understanding, discernment, and then always asking the key question is why? Why, why, why? Why was Stalin the way he was? Why was Hitler the way he was? Why did that person murder that person? Why did that genocide happen? Instead of just going automatically to an indoctrinated, conditioned state of mind and just condemning and pointing fingers and not wanting to understand. But like I was always then in a position of saying, there's reasons why that individual or those group of people or that situation or that behavior happened and to be in a position of unconditional love to step back and unconditional love is just another term for acceptance some people hear that and because of their condition they get like Ooh, unconditional love what a horrible it's just they're not comfortable with it it's just another word for acceptance that's all doesn't mean you have to agree with what happened or a certain behavior or a certain individual it just means that you need to realize their conditions that have led to that situation, behavior, individual or group of people acting the way acting the way they did or that situation happened the way they did. So I'd always say like I unconditionally love everyone, everything. Doesn't mean I like everyone and everything. It just puts me in a position to understand that everything and everyone is the way they are for a reason and to try and always ask why. And I think that if we can get to a position of looking at things through the lens of a little more compassion, through more empathy True more discernment, true more understanding, and true ask, and true asking the questions of why, and starting with that stuff with ourselves, first of all, like why am I the way I am? Are the beliefs in my mind really mine, or are they just conditions? Are they just indoctrinations that I got from my environment? Do I truly think that I am worth my place in this universe? Do I love myself? Do I like myself? Why do I feel that way, and trying to always continually work on ourselves? And going back to your whole point is, I think that if we can get to a place where we realise that we ourselves are a continual work in progress, we're continually trying to up our you, you spoke about our health bank account. We're continually trying to also work on our self love bank account day to day, and that bank account fluctuates, as I kind of mentioned, like being a continual journey. By doing that, you are contributing to the world, but by but i agree with you 100 percent it's not this we have been indoctrinated by that that we have to we're all sinners and that and the way to wash away our sins is to sacrifice ourselves that's bollocks that's just uh, that's just that was just another human's opinion that's all that was how we contribute positively to society is by first and foremost contributing to ourselves by trying to self-actualize ourselves by trying to make sure that we are trying that we're on the journey of fulfilling for ourselves and to work on our own self-love and by doing that and showing that and living it that's the key thing now I'm saying all these things as an individual, as a human, who's just as flawed, who's just as fucked up, who has just the same amount of idiosyncrasies and, and ha- detrimental habits as anyone else listen to us having this conversation. I have my demons. But I think it's being able to stand up and, and be genuine and say and saying, I'm I'm on this journey too with everyone else. I'm trying to, you know, work on my issues and my demons to get as close as i can to who i am why i'm here and just to figure out this this whole question of why are we here what is life and none of us will ever know but i think if we can get to a, a place of our truth and do it in a way that's positive and fulfilling to ourselves we are contributing to society so to wrap all up fully agree with what you're saying i think you have to 100 percent contribute to yourself first and foremost you got to go after unconditional love And fulfillment, and realizing that just you being is enough. I think once you're on that journey, that continual journey from the day you're born to the day you die, you are contributing to society by first and foremost contributing to yourself. I gotta take a piss. Yeah, exactly. I gotta take a piss, but you you can keep talking there.
1: Yeah. No, no, you you go and then. Uh, I don't know if you can hear me or you? Can. Uh, you still there? Oh boy, yeah. Here one sec, I think I've got, I think I've got a mosquito around me, so I'm gonna close this door. Dirt, dirty fuckers all right brother show let's keep at it let's go maybe let's like run through another question maybe like 15 more minutes and then yeah i'm the same okay. because i gotta go I
0: gotta anyway, get, yeah I gotta, I gotta get some sunlight and some fresh air and i gotta get some groceries um the last one uh, the last well so there's three more but we won't get all three done because because me and you talk for we, we could talk for fucking millennia not even just fucking not even just years but uh engineering the environment i know you're touching it there but i'll get back to you on that because let let what what we'll do is we'll put we'll just again it'll just be like a pure like let's just say for instance that that everything was a blank slate like everyone everyone in the world's like great we agree there's no fucking economies there's no religions no governments blank slate you're you're one of the people on the committee what would your recommendations be and like you know so like it could be anything from like how to engineer like I was recently talking to a movement guy, like, and I was like, "How would you engineer society now so people could get more natural movements in their day?" Because our movement now is so artificial and fake. Like, we have to build things called gyms because we just don't fucking move anymore. Like Ben Greenfield yeah. said, a great Ben Greenfield said a great quote. He was like, "Exercise should be optional, not mandatory." And he's like, "But it is mandatory because we're so, we're so sedentary now." He's like, "If you are just physically active for the day, you should be able be able at the end of the day go." no, I've done enough, I've done enough movements on physical activity, I don't I don't need to, like, do like, an hour of hard stuff, you know what I mean so, thing things like, exercise should be just a supplement to your whole physical life, like, which I thought was very good but, uh, we can t- definitely wrap, wrap on that another day and um, there was the beliefs and the family, and I probably whichever one you want to go into there so, the belief one is, like, this idea that if you believe something is going to be harmful, like the EMF, like the blue light, like it's going to be more that we
1: but- can knock that one out pretty straightforward like that yeah. one's simple like basically let's go I, okay. I i'm not an expert in in how our mental beliefs affect our body but i can say that in just the last few days after uh a- attempting to alter my mind through you know reading more and learning more and so on uh, it has been the great like the, the most amazing changes ever, and again, from the beginning, Dr. Cruz always said to me and, and on his blog he writes that a thought can change our DNA, and absolutely because of epigenetics, I believe it can so yeah, mm-hmm. simple answer if you 're stressed to shit all the time because you have beliefs that set you up for failure, then you are going to be miserable and have lots of stress and probably not be very healthy. but if your beliefs set you up for success, then I think you will win. And so like what I've been doing lately is basically looking at exactly how I want my life to be. Like literally, you know, okay, so I want my I want my company to succeed, right? So I want to put a lot of energy and a certain percentage of my energy and time of each day or of each week uh, into this company. And then at the same time, I'm thinking about how I don't I don't just want my company to thrive. I want, let's say I want to spend a lot of time reading and learning, right? That's something that's really into me, interesting me. So I basically set I'll kind of set up my week and my day schedule so that the things that I want to do are the things that I'm doing. And then I, let's say like I set maybe two or three things for like on a work day on free days, which I I take like two per day, Two per week, I should say. Two free days where I, I don't engage in work-related activities. I engage in things that I enjoy and improving my myself as an individual more than anything. But even on working days, I decided that I don't want these days to be miserable for me anymore. Where I'm just, you know, setting myself up with way way more stuff than I know I could reasonably get done. So I've been taking the advice of a, a business coach of of uh, my f- basically of my friend's dad's, who he's basically passing it along to me where I should only set like three key results per day or three key goals for each day. And and sometimes I only set one or two, if I think it's something that's going to be a really big time bear and take most of the day. So that way every single day now I can like walk away from the day, pretty much feeling like I've won the day. And like, for example, if I don't even, if I set three and I don't do all three, I can get like pretty hard on myself and I'm trying to get even better where, you know, Like sometimes the three things I set end up being many, many much smaller things that all take a lot of time. So I just have to be really accepting like, okay, I like, I worked pretty hard today. I spent most of the hours, like I wake up at 6am and I pretty much get right to it. And what time is it now? It's 6.30pm. So I've literally been at it for 12 hours straight. Like, and to me it's like normal, right? But that's... Most people work eight hours a day. Like I'm just using my mind hardcore pretty much for business 12 hours a day. And I'll take like an hour, maybe to go to the sauna, which is like the most important thing that I do. Clear my head and just, and just out for a second and just think. Let myself breathe. Um, I should probably do that more frequently throughout the day. But rather than setting myself up with so much stuff that just a constant pile on of stuff that, that I don't want to do, because I used to believe that I was supposed to be this sacrificial animal that is literally like, working for other people, working for what I think, you know, let's say what I think that Dr. Cruz thinks that I should do because he's been a huge inspiration to me and I wanna, you know, make him proud and do really good work, uh, that that advances all the hard work he's done and the struggle that he's gone through to get this information to me, right? Um so rather than going off of what I wanted to do, you know, I was thinking like in that way. And then also uh, you know, for like what my business partner, what I think my business partner thinks I should do or what I think Um, you know, anyone thinks I should do and the world, you know, let's say that, let's say that, um, I've, I've created this picture in my head where I should be this, this big health influencer who, who brings this, all these ideas about light to the, to a larger audience. Right. And I've been creating these, I've been creating these ideas of, of what, you know, what that looks like, like me, I have a big YouTube channel, I have a gajillion YouTube subscribers, let's say I have a big Instagram channel, gajillion Instagram followers, I don't have that now but I'm saying in a theoretical world, that's what I would have. And I would have a, you know, huge following across these social media channels, and blah, 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 and all this stuff. And I would have a book, and I'd have a ton of different stuff. And, and then I like, I thought about it more. And it's like, do I really maybe one day? Yeah, maybe in five years. But like, do I really want to like, make that my goal right now and just kind of be miserable along the path when that's not even something that really maybe interests me. And so basically that's been like the greatest thing I've been freeing myself of is saying like, what do I want to do? And again, it was interesting in a recent conversation, I was telling Dr. Cruz, like trying to be honest with him and saying like, you know, I just, I just really want to impress you. Like that's what I've been wanting to do sort of. And I realized that, and I actually told this to him, which you know, it was kind of little interesting for me to be on that honest. And then he said, "I want you to impress yourself, which is really in line with what we're talking about. Like it's most important, I think, to any individual, including myself who's running a business, that on a daily basis, even on my work days, what i'm what I'm doing is is contributing to my happiness. In other words, like I'm not forcing myself to do stuff that I don't want to do, even if I've thought through it and reasoned that, oh, this would be really good for me, you know, but I'm just not, not into it. You know, there's, I basically am only focused on now. I only want to focus on now stuff that a, that I have to do, which is code for, I want to do it because if based on the way I've structured my life, There's really nothing that I have to do except, you know, I'm running a company, so I have to get glasses to my customers, right? But it isn't even that I have to, it's that I want to, because if I don't, then I'm not going to be able to sell any more glasses and then I'm not going to have a living. And also the result is that the company that I think will be the world's greatest blue blocking glasses company will perish, you know? So like, so for me, anything that I, I have to do is stuff that I want to do. Really, it's just me saying that I have to do it. And then on top of that, I only want to do stuff that really excites me. And I guess the, the whole point of what I'm saying is that I'm, I'm trying. I am learning that it's so important to set life up where, again, every day the life that we want to live is the life that we start rewarding ourselves and patting ourselves on the back for living. Like I'm in Bali for Christ's sake, you know. Any so many people who are in the corporate world or whatever listening to this from some cold place would kill to be in Bali and be so grateful when they come here. But I'm here. I've been here for two, two and a half months, and I haven't really been enjoying it as much as I could simply because I believed, I've i held the, the terrible evil belief that my own happiness isn't of value and that I should be you know, suffering and, and thereby contributing. And it's just so evil to myself. And then the way that I take that out on the world and my interactions with people and everything – feeling just indifferent and empty and miserable is just really, really bad. And I was really that was really growing on me. And it has been, like I said, since I was in Bosnia, even after coming back and having Dr. Cruz saying focus on yourself, until just recently when I decided I'm gonna take charge of my life and live it the way that I want to live it, especially now that I have the the freedom to do it. You know, if anyone should be doing that, it's me or, or someone who has that freedom to kind of direct their own life and, and be traveling and going anywhere. So do I think the belief impacts our biology tremendously? Yes. And because it can literally make the, our, our beliefs alone can make the difference between constantly being in a state of bliss and success and positivity or a state of stress, which is in on a biologic level, our cells are leaking ultraviolet light, which means we're literally making ourselves sicker just by being in a constant state of stress and a constant state of panic Our cells, when they're stressed emit ultraviolet light they leak light because we can't keep it as well so yes i'm starting to believe that our belief and our connection to the things around us and but most importantly the way that we yet believe the way that we think and set up our mind so that we interact with the world in a certain way is the single most important factor in our health and if we have the proper thinking process i believe that will lead us to making better health decisions like if i didn't have the proper belief system to To ha- be inquisitive, I never would have learned about Dr. Cruz. So I believe it almost pretty much some girl in the sauna was saying this a couple days ago, and I didn't really believe her. But I actually am starting to believe that like, almost everything is driven by our mind. She was some like hypnotherapist, you know, so she says 99% of everything in our life is driven by our mind. And I was like, no way. But after thinking about it more, I think it's less than 99%. Like I think blue light, sunlight, all these things are really, can't necessarily cut them out of the picture, but it's really interesting stuff. So, yeah. Do you
0: know, I just want to say, I really resonated when you, when you said that, uh, when you mentioned that, you, you know, you said that to Jack, that listen, actually I'm doing it, Nearly everything I'm doing is just to impress you. Cause like I, I've had moments in my life like that as well, where like, if I it, when when I step back and reflect and, and I kind of was like who am I doing this for like am I really doing this for me or, or am I doing this because I think I'll get validation from an external source so I think that's a key message for people to to take away and you know just like a base I just want to say fair play to you for having the courage and, and coming to the awareness first of all coming to the awareness of that and then having the courage to actually go out and say to Jack because I, I think that's a very brave thing a lot of people wouldn't have done that I think that was very important in terms of your growth as, as, as a person. Um, so, I mean, uh, and something else that, that just came to my mind there was, you know, I, I don't know if you've read this, but I, I think you'd really like it. I actually have it as an audio book. One of my favorite, and I've said this in previous podcasts, one of my favorite, it's actually an essay. One of my favorite essays is by a gentleman called uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson. I'm sure you're aware of Emerson. Um, yeah, I've heard it. And uh, the essay is called Self-Reliance. And it just basically is all about like the whole tenant of the essay is like believing in yourself and like, I'm paraphrasing, but there's bits in it where, you know, he basically says that we often have an original thought and we kind of just poo poo the thought because it's like, ha, no, like that, ca- like, that thought can't be worth any value because it's mine. Like I, you know, I thought of it. And then what happens is he says, we see someone else come out with, a, with an original thought similar to what we had before, but we never acted on it. And they did and then we're full of envy and jealousy then because we're like fuck they had the courage to act on it i didn't and it's more sort of like self-victimization within yourself but like there's a line in it that i love where he's like um he 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 so should be a man or who sorry who so should be a man must be a non-conformist so basically saying that like follow your heart if like 99 of the tribe are going right But in your heart, it's like, no, it just doesn't feel right. Left feels right or whatever, vice versa, whatever analogy you want to use. But if 99% of people are going one way and you're like, everything's telling me it goes the other way. He's like, follow that. There's a reason why that's there. Like, so again, like you read these things and it is easier said than done. Like it's easier to read these things and and like consciously embrace them. But again, like as I said earlier, I'm a human being like everyone else to this, who has fears and has demons that we're trying to wrestle on a day-to-day, moment-to-moment basis. But I fully agree with you. And And resonate with what you said there in terms of like doing, you're doing certain things, and even that could be subconsciously, but you're doing certain things and actions to get external validation from an external source. Be that like, you know, usually it's someone else you are trying to impress, or a group of people, or even a facade of people now that we have social media. Maybe it's social media, people out there eating on social media that you're trying to impress, where really if you step back and say, is that what I really want? Like, is that getting me any closer to happiness or fulfillment? Or like, why am I doing that? Am I doing that because I think it will give me more self worth? And again, go back to what we spoke about. Right on is that like, you, you you know, you're already worthy as it is. You were worthy enough to, to be given life. You, you're enough as it is already. Like, and just being present and and being to be able to appreciate that and have gratitude for it. So I can resonate with that, and I strongly uh, commend you for actually being able to approach Jack and say that to him.
1: Yeah. Yes. It's really interesting these these conversations. Stations. like I've had lots of thoughts being over in Bali, and this is one of the reasons why I don't want to leave here because like I'm really starting to tune into something powerful, mm-hmm. getting into a routine over here. And you know, like I said, I was thinking about going to the states and doing all this stuff and I'm just like, why don't I just stay here and keep tuning into what I'm tuning into? I think I might really start realizing stuff. Whereas if I get back in my a stressful, sort of generally stressful routine of traveling, it might things will be different. But anyway, it'll all work out the way it needs to go. Just might take longer. And involve a bit more struggling, but um, yeah, I definitely I definitely resonate with what you're saying, and I I know that there's certain things that are just calling me and have been calling me and continue to call me, and then there's other things that I've been telling myself that I should be doing, should be doing, should be doing uh, for you know for others, for my image, for you know yeah for social media, for validation from the external, you know largely a lot of stuff that like, as far as building up a personal brand and a following as a, as an individual so that I can, uh, really catapult my company. But, you know, I just, I think that I've got to do what, what I want to do. And that, that's, that's been a really a big lesson for me in the last few days and weeks and months. So that's how I'm going to be operating. Mm. And, uh, I would say that, well, let's see, um, maybe we just, well, that, that probably took us about 15 minutes, but yeah, it's about 643. So maybe we wrap up with that. I can tell you that my family um, is pretty cool, you know, and and my mom's pretty cool. My dad's pretty cool. Uh, my dad had a bit of a, a tough time with me not wanting to go to college, but once I started making some cash, being able to support myself, he has been very, very supportive very and right. that's been very awesome. So, so yeah, I think that's uh just pretty cool. And then I have two siblings. I'm actually a triplet, so I have two triplet sisters and a little brother. And you know, I'm not super close with all of them, but I love them and I'll see them around. But like I said, I I see my life as as mine to run. And I've had all these feelings of like obligation, like oh, I should go back and I should go see my family and and I should do this and I should do that. But like. I've realized that that's, again, just something that I'm, I'm like living for others and that's not benefiting me. That's not necessarily helping me out. And unless it's something that I really want to do because I'm gaining value from it, mm-hmm. it's just not not beneficial for anyone because I'm not going to be in a good state of mind while I'm there. Plus, I mean, it's the bigger issue. If I was right down the street, sure, I'd go, no problem. Or not on the other side of the planet, 12 hour times, 12 time zones away. But I am. And so it's like, I'm not going to just, hop back all the way to the states just like on a on a whim you know i'm gonna really take a little bit of time before i get on an airplane for 20 hours
0: all right maruka your beauty of wraps this up and say goodbye to offline so for all the listeners take care be well and stay strong
1: thanks robbie